Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, where we bring you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry, fresh back from my butterfly sojourn, uh, as we like to take here on the transfer window. We are esoterics, as you know, and with me as always is the man who deserves the title, if not more, of transfer guru, Mr. Duncan Castles. Coming up on today's pod, we have news for you exclusively, as always, on Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, also uh, Manchester City, Brighton Hove Albion. And of course, a roundup of other transfers around European football. Duncan, it's good to be back and good to see that the market is in full flow uh, since my little uh, absence last week, which was very nice. Thank you before you ask. Let's start with Chelsea, who have been very active in the summer market with regards to trying to get deals done without necessarily succeeding in their most primary targets. It is the case, as you know, that they are heavily involved in trying to persuade Erling Haaland to come to Stamford Bridge. But Duncan, you have a new name on the list and it's a defender, not a striker. Yeah, not not a new name. It's something we were aware they were interested in. Um, obviously, they need to strengthen at centre-back. That's one of the areas that actually they've been working on for a long time. Frank Lampard prioritised it. Uh, if you look at their, their squad at present, uh, four of the players who played at centre-back last, last season, uh, Cesar Azpilicueta, Andreas Christensen, Antonio Rudiger and Thiago Silva, all have just one year of contract. There's Kurt Zuma with two years of contract who's available for sale. Um, but I'm told that they have been in extensive discussions with Jules Kunde's representatives and have made a contract offer to the Young France International um, that would be acceptable to the player, that Kunde is interested in moving to Chelsea if a deal can be agreed club to club. And uh, obviously the element that's left is getting a figure that's acceptable for Sevilla. Uh, we've talked about Sevilla's position on this and the fact that they need to raise a very significant fee because they owe a large sell-on to uh, Bordeaux for Koundé. Um, and also that La Liga spending limitations are such that they won't be able to use all of the transfer fee to recruit a replacement even though they've done some, uh, I think, some very good business is the perception in world football this week in, in taking Eric Lamella plus 25 million euros from Tottenham Hotspur for their young uh, Spain international, Brian Heal. Um, very talented player, but I think there's some question marks over the price that Tottenham have paid and some question marks over whether the Premier League is the best location for his talents, given that... Um, Physicality is not one of his strengths. Well, he's he's very good on the on the ball, exceptionally good on the ball. But Kunde, um, we know Sevilla are open to selling, and that Kunde is open to moving. Manchester United, as we reported several weeks ago, had made an informal offer to Sevilla, which was rejected by the Spanish club because it was insufficient. Manchester United, obviously, um, on the point of adding Rafael Varane at centre-back, having agreed a fee with Real Madrid for the player. Instead, um, although Koundé 
could actually fit into their squad because he can play at right back as well, which is a position that Solskjaer wants to strengthen. One of the many positions Solskjaer wants to strengthen. As we told you before in the podcast, Kunde's preference should he leave Sevilla, and he's talked about leaving this summer and being open to a move, would be Real Madrid. But Madrid at present are not in uh, a frame of mind to take Kunde from Sevilla because, again, something we consistently reported, Florentino Perez is central focus, overriding focus is on getting Kylian Mbappe from Paris Saint-Germain. He still thinks there's a possibility of doing it this summer, wants to keep the firepower he has available for that and that's going to be boosted with the um, 50 million euro fee that's been agreed uh, with Manchester United for Rafael Varane, albeit not all of that will come immediately. Um, if he can't do Mbappe, then it's possible Madrid will do something else. Therefore, there's still an opening that Kunde may go there. But I think Chelsea have put themselves in the best position of the English clubs um, by making that offer of personal terms to France International um, and having him interested in coming there. Um, question is, can they get to the numbers that will that Sevilla will accept for a transfer and remember that in 2020 they turned down a very significant offer what their sporting director Monchi described as a magnificent offer um, from Manchester City for Kunde. Elsewhere on Chelsea's list of course as we have consistently reported ahead of anyone else the interest in Erling Haaland the Borussia Dortmund striker who has an outrageous uh, record of goals per game in terms of ratio uh, is our understanding that Timo Werner who it's safe to say did not enjoy a very good debut season at Stamford Bridge uh, was offered as part of a deal for Haaland, therefore obviously negating part of the fee in terms of uh, the quite substantial amount Dortmund are uh, quoting for Haaland in excess of €150 million at this point. Uh, Duncan, I'm told that Werner, uh, unlike Havertz, has not adapted well to life in England, uh, that he has not... Um, assimilated himself necessarily very well. He's quite an introverted character. Havertz is quite extrovert, and even though he's got the the um, sort of safety net of having Havertz as an international teammate, and also there are other players, Anthony Rudiger, who and Rudiger obviously is an international teammate with Germany as well. Just hasn't happened for him. Um, I'm told that Dortmund want cash only, but I don't. I suppose that's not really a surprise that Werner. Uh, was offered because the club know that they've got a difficult task ahead of them to get him into his best form and the player himself needs to convince himself that that is going to happen for him. Um, As far as Haaland's concerned, can you see it happening? I mean, it is an awful lot of money. I think it depends on the level to which Roman Abramovich, and it is Roman Abramovich driving this deal, um, is prepared to go to sign Haaland as we've discussed on a number of occasions, what Chelsea are doing here is is tr- taking, trying to take the opportunity to beat clubs that probably Haaland would prefer to go to, um, who are interested in in taking Haaland this summer because Chelsea have the capital available through their owner to get to a figure that Dortmund can't afford to say no to. And Dortmund's position is that they won't sell this summer. 
and they they've been briefing that uh, quite extensively. Um, they will, of course, lose a significant amount if they retain Haaland for an extra year because there is a release clause in his contract for next summer set at 75 million euros. So unless they can contrive some kind of special deal which gets them more than that, refusing Chelsea's money is um, is going to be a loss to them which they have to play off against what Haaland can provide for them in the field. They've already signed a forward, um, Daniel Malin from uh, PSV Eindhoven this week for a significant fee. Um, so they, they've added firepower to their attack, uh, and which gives them an option should they decide to sell Haaland this summer. Um, I think also it's dependent on what Mino Raiola decides to do and advise the player to do. Um, obviously, the bigger the transfer fee, the potential for the bigger commission for Raiola and Erling Haaland's father. Um, you reported a long time ago in this podcast that Abramovich and Chelsea were willing to pay the commissions that Raiola was asking for and to pay the €30 million Euro net salary that Haaland was asking for. Um, it's about exploiting an opportunity and I can understand why they're offering someone like Timo Werner, who, as you say, has not been a success, not done what was expected by Chelsea in bringing him from the Bundesliga back to a Bundesliga club and and uh, and saying, well, we will use that as a percentage of the transfer fee if you're happy with the, with the overall sum to make the deal happen this summer. To Manchester United now, Duncan, and uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been rewarded with a three-year contract. Uh, he has um, persuaded the Manchester United board that he is worth that at least, and we can reveal details of the payments on that contract, um, as well as uh, some news on players as well. We are informed by people who were involved in the deal that Solskjaer uh, is being paid 5.1 million euros net, so that's around uh, 9 million euros gross uh, in its new three-year deal. There are bonuses related to that as well, which of course uh, will be if he wins silverware, something he's yet to do at Old Trafford. Uh, it's clearly a, a mandate, I suppose, Duncan, uh, for Solskjaer in terms of giving him stability personally. The club obviously hope that that stability will uh, trickle down into the players in the dressing room so that they know that this is a guy that they'll be playing under um, supposedly for the next for foreseeable future I guess um, I think it was the same salary as he was already on is that correct Duncan? It's uh, the figure is is the same as was reported for his previous salary what that figure is is not substantial for a, a manager at a club of, of that stature um, I think you have to look at this in the perspective of he was entering the final year of the contract there was a lot of discussion about when they would extend that deal because they certainly weren't under external pressure to extend the deal. There wasn't any club of the, the numerous um, top European clubs who've been looking to sign uh, new managers this summer who had gone 
to try and hire Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on the back of his performances at Manchester United. Um, United announced it as a, a contract that will will see him at the club until at least 2024 with an option for a further year. Um, Ed Woodward, the executive vice chairman, uh, talked about it being especially pleasing that uh, that the way the progress under Solskjaer has been achieved with a blend of young, homegrown talent and top recruits playing attacking football in the best traditions of Manchester United. We are more confident than ever that under Ollie's leadership, we are heading in the right direction. It's, you know, it's all stuff we've heard many, many times from United. It's the, the PR story around Solskjaer. I think there's obviously an argument uh, to be had about whether they have really been playing attacking football in the best traditions of Manchester United because I think most Manchester United fans would argue that the best traditions of their club involve them playing attacking football and winning trophies which clearly hasn't been done as yet. Um, also I think interesting that when Solskjaer was asked about where the club is in terms of his long-term plan for getting them back to those best traditions, which again is something that Solskjaer has talked about throughout his tenure as manager of Manchester United. When he was asked about that um, following uh, a friendly defeat to Queen's Park Rangers at the weekend, um, he didn't want to give a date and didn't want to say that uh, that they were close to to completing the, the squad that um, that he had been trying to build. He said, we need to improve. Gradually, we have improved and we've become a better team, I feel. And now, hopefully, we can take the next step. And that's challenging for trophies. So again, this is Solskjaer not wanting to commit himself to being in a place where he should win things. It's, he's still trying to set targets low, which is something... We've frequently heard from him before last season talking about how third place would be was his target for the season and anything better than that would be unexpected success. And of course he did achieve better than that in the end. You look at what they're doing in the transfer market, there is a significant difference this summer in the speed with which they are um, operating. And I think a lot of that comes down to the change in, in structure at the club with John Murto and Darren Fletcher um, handing handed roles in which they do a lot of the the day to day work and preparing deals uh, and getting deals in place before final negotiations are done elsewhere and before the Glazers sign off on them. But they have Jaden Sancho in for a fixed fee of eighty five million euros um, already at the club long before the start of the season. At the weekend, they agreed. Uh, a fee for Rafael Varane with Madrid while Madrid were in, in Glasgow um, for a friendly match against Rangers. Um, you've got basically the two two of the, the most important signings that Solskjaer in areas he was looking for in place already. There's an issue with COVID and when Varane will be able to train, but they're doing, doing those deals quickly. He's also signed another goalkeeper. Um, you look at the what he's been provided with over his period at the club and the, the defence alone, let's just talk about Manchester United's defence. He's got a, a record transfer fee for a centre-back, highest ever paid in world football. What was a record fee for a specialist right-back for Aaron Wan-Bissaka? Um, they then signed at left-back 
at Alex Telles, who was the best player in Portugal that season, if you talk to most Portuguese football observers, and, and has been used essentially as a backup. Now Rafa Varane coming in on 10 million net a season. Um, contracts for two England international goalkeepers handed out during that period. Um, and having already made David De Gea the best paid player in the Premier League, it's, it's an immense amount of investment in Solskjaer's vision for Manchester United. And I think what you have to say is with the resources he's provided with in a context where most other clubs haven't been able to invest, there's a few who are investing, but they're, they're, they're specialised um, examples. At present, they've outspent everyone in Europe in terms of transfer fee commitments. With that kind of investment on top of what he already had, it really has time for him to deliver as, as manager of Manchester United. And delivering doesn't mean challenging for silverware, as he describes it. It means winning silverware. Maybe you could just order a trophy from Amazon and get it delivered. <laughs> It'd certainly be a lot, a lot easier. Um, Duncan. This is intriguing. Um, football clubs generally, and I am being generally here, tend to treat fans, media, et cetera, et cetera, as, as somewhere between two kind of polar opposites, either cynical or naive. So when Solskjaer tells us in every opportunity that he's asked about Paul Pogba, oh, Paul's a great guy, he's great in the dressing room, he's a great player, but he's also a great human being and there's no problem with Paul, blah, 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 blah. Here's the intriguing part. The transfer window has learned that during the conversations in Glasgow between representatives of Madrid and Manchester United with regards to Rafael Varane's transfer, Pogba was offered as part of the deal in order, again, to bring down the transfer fee or indeed eliminate the transfer fee, given that it's, was, it's 50 million euros. Uh, you would have to expect that Pogba's value with one year left on his contract uh, would be around that mark, uh, if not even maybe less. Uh, it would depend how much Madrid valued trying to recruit the player. Now, we've got on one side Solskjaer telling us Pogba's brilliant, we love him. On the other side, you've got uh, Manchester United officials offering Pogba on the basis that they don't believe he's going to sign a new deal and they might lose him for free next summer, which they don't want to do, obviously. And even more interesting, Madrid saying no thanks. Yeah, I, I think um, Pogba was outside of, of that plan that I've just described for Real Madrid, which is focus everything on, on Kylian Mbappe this summer. Um, although you could structure something that would be good for amortization purposes and financial fair play reasons by creating large fees for Varane and a large fee for Pogba and sending them both ways. Um, he does come with a very significant wage and my information is that they've retained Luka Modric for one more season in order to um, shift that spending on midfield until uh, next year. So Florentino Perez didn't want to do Pogba this summer. Um, again, my information is that if you gave Paul Pogba a choice of clubs, his first choice would be Real Madrid. It has been for a long time. He's been pushing Mino Raiola to get him there. Raiola's failure to get him there has, has resulted in, in problems in the relationship with his agent, which again, something we've talked about several times on this podcast. Raiola is trying to get a deal done for Pogba this summer. Um, Juventus 
are an option because of Max Allegri's return to the club. Um, but at the moment, the, the strongest scenario for Pogba is Paris Saint-Germain. Um, you know, Raiola has done a lot of business with Paris Saint-Germain sporting director Leonardo. Paris Saint-Germain are one of those exceptional clubs this summer who are going into the market very aggressively, putting down um, huge salaries for players and uh, and one big transfer fee um, for Hakimi from Inter, but uh, massive salary handed to Gianluigi Donnarumma, um, again, one of Raiola's clients. Um, my information is that Raiola and Leonardo are working on a deal that would get Pogba to Paris Saint-Germain this summer. Um, and yes, I agree with you. Manchester United are in a position where they don't want to lose Paul Pogba for a second time for um, no money in this case. Last time it was a minimal um, FIFA-related uh, training compensation that they received when, when Raiola got him out to Juventus. They don't want that to happen. They see the possibility of raising some level of transfer fee from Pogba and then reinvesting it in the midfield um, to further strengthen Solskjaer's hand going into this season. Certainly is something which uh, Manchester United have to take seriously given the, the year left on his contract um, and one that... Uh, I think it's interesting as well that uh, Solskjaer was consulted, um, to our knowledge, uh, but whether or not uh, Pogba was in his plans or whether it was a deal-breaker for him uh, on the negotiations for his contract, and the answer was no, it's not. So, so as I said, naive or cynic? Well, Solskjaer tells you one thing in public, says another in private. Likewise, Madrid as well. So, we shall see. Another merry-go-round that we've been on for quite some time, Duncan, is the Manchester City financial fair play one. Um, obviously, they have so far managed to um, escape serious punishment uh, for indiscretions with regards to spending. However, information published uh, over the days uh, concerning um, deals done with regard to investment in both sponsorship that allowed Manchester City to spend much more than they should have been um, with regards to their income had been made public. Um, I suppose, Duncan, a lot of people are a little bit weary of this story, but it's a very important one. Will anything happen, though? Because it's not happened so far. It's like City have like the power to basically do what they want and they don't necessarily get the punishment that it deserves when they're found out. Yeah, Manchester City found guilty of breaching UEFA financial fair play twice, um, punished twice, banned from European competition for two years by UEFA, a ban that they managed to have overturned at the Court of Arbitration for Sport, although the Court of Ar Arbitration for Sport held up um, some of the uh, UEFA decision against Manchester City. They found that they had breached financial fair play regulations, which are part of the basic competition rules for the Champions League, and they reduced what had been a fine of €30 million Euros to €10 million Euros for failing to cooperate, principally for failing to cooperate with UEFA's investigation. 
um, the key element in that decision from Cass was that it was a majority verdict and that it centred around a, a majority decision of the three tribunal members to bar certain evidence of supplementing sponsorship deals or essentially using the, the um, Abu Dhabi government funds to pay money to their sponsors, which were then uh, remitted to Manchester City as uh, coming direct from the sponsor. Um, that evidence once excluded uh, by the CAS um, arbitration, two of the CAS arbitration panels saw the UEFA's case fall down and allowed um, the, the penalty to be based on, on evading investigation. Why is this interesting? Well, essentially what we've seen from now we're looking at an English investigation and the Premier League investigation into Manchester City. We see the same pattern that UEFA um, experienced when they were trying to prosecute or investigate first and then prosecute second Manchester City for breaching competition rules. That is the Premier League um, once seeing the evidence that um, Der Spiegel and Football Leaks presented, um, club emails, um, talking about uh, various schemes used to attempt to bypass competition rules. The Premier League started an investigation. That investigation is still ongoing, is what, is what we've discovered. Um, and we've also discovered from the documents released following an appeal by Manchester City to have a judgment made to the English Commercial Court kept private and confidential, we've, we've found out that City have been using a very similar tactic, which is one of not providing the documents requested of them, um, not, not providing the evidence requested of them by, in this case, the Premier League, to demonstrate that they hadn't broke the rules. Um, this has gone through various investigations, tribunals, initially done by the Premier League. Um, Manchester City initially uh, accused the Premier League's tribunal process, arbitration process of, of being biased because of the way in which uh, tribunal members were selected. Um, they then, uh, when the Premier League changed the rules on this um, so that an independent chairman chose the tribunal members rather than the Premier League and the club um, being allowed to choose one each and those two um, then deciding who would be the chair. Manchester City then went to a commercial court to um, argue that the tribunal again was biased and that they shouldn't be allowed to um, have access to confidential information from the club. Manchester City lost that case. Um, the uh, the judge in that case said that the uh, the the judgment should be made public because it was a matter of public interest. Premier League interestingly supported Manchester City in the idea that it should be kept confidential. Manchester City ended up going to the High Court to appeal that judge judge Justice Mulder's decision that uh, that uh, information that that they they'd lost the case. Um, to uh, prevent the, the Premier League even from having an arbitration panel on rule breaking uh, should 
be made public and um and the high court and and we're talking very senior judges here and manchester city again using some of the most expensive lawyers in the country to argue the, their case that uh, high court uh decided uni- unanimously all three senior judges that um that the the courts had ruled correctly and that manchester city's um attempt to hide uh, the outcome of the court case should be prevented and uh, and and uh, the details so far should be made public. So what are the potential punishments under Premier League rules of FFP that Manchester City could face should all of this result in what effectively is a conviction? As you know, the, the Premier League, is, it, it, it is a body organised by its member clubs. Um, it has a rule book which is agreed by the member clubs, and uh, look, I think we we've talked about this many times. There's a great deal of anger amongst certain Premier League clubs of the way that Manchester City have refused to even enter into an arbitration process, um, refused to provide evidence to the rule making and rule governing body over something which appears to be a transgression of the rules. And, you know, there's an obvious question that people are asking here is, if you didn't break the rules, if what you did was in accordance with the, you know, the spirit of the Premier League and the spirit of competition between clubs, and you followed um, Premier League rules, which are actually far more lenient on spending than UEFA rules are, why aren't you prepared to provide evidence of internal documents and demonstrate that emails that have been published by numerous sources now were, as claimed, um, an incomplete picture of what had happened at the club. Why are you spending so much money on lawyers? Why are you refusing even to properly engage with the arbitration process and going to courts in England, a series of courts in England, to argue the case there and try and uh, and prevent the Premier League from implementing its own rule book in the way it's written. That That's the question. What, ha- what can happen to them? I think, one, they have a problem in that when it comes to Premier League investigation, there are no time bar rules, unlike with UEFA. So emails from December 2013 which have been published where Simon Pearce, one of the directors of Manchester City and a very senior figure in Abu Dhabi government details payments of £91 million to Etihad Airways for a sponsorship deal in which Etihad were supposed to be paying £99 million to Manchester City. Um, but as Pierce puts it in the email, ninety million pounds of which you will provide eight million pounds. So that that email is there, which wasn't available to the first UEFA investigation. It's not time barred. Um, it's questionable, even with those levels of apparent payment from Abu Dhabi government to sponsors, um, and we're talking about record. Uh, shirt sponsorship deals, £50 million per year for 
uh, for stadium naming rights, seventeen point five million pounds for training kit and and training ground, and this is uh, training ground rights, and this was just in two thousand thirteen fourteen for a club who did not have massive status in the world game at that time. Um, even those amounts might not take. Manchester City over Premier League's allowable losses, which at the time were £105 million for three years. But what will be a problem for Manchester City if the Premier League are able to prosecute this properly and if if there is the will to keep pushing against the massive um, legal uh, might of Manchester City um, is cooperation with the rules. And um, if they if they are seen to have actively deceived the Premier League and actively deceived other clubs in the Premier League and competed unfairly, then there is the potential for, I think, serious punishment. But I think in, in these football contexts, the degree of punishment, is all, it's always an element of politics involved in it. Well, having just checked uh, Premier League rules, uh, three options are open to the Premier League should they find Manchester City guilty of indiscretion. That would be playing behind closed doors uh, at the home matches at the Etihad Stadium, uh, a points deduction and a transfer ban. All seems slightly fanciful if you're banning your own club from playing or indeed making transfers. And that would be bad news, of course, for Harry Kane and uh, for Jack Grealish, uh, as well as Villa and Tottenham Hotspur, or maybe it'd be good news for them. Certainly uh, the case that one transfer which is progressing uh, is that of Ben White from Brighton Hope Albion to Arsenal. Many Arsenal fans are wondering why it's taking so long, Duncan. Uh, and of course, we did report that Ben was on holiday after uh, taking part in Euro 2020 with the England squad, though he didn't make an appearance. Um, apparently he's back now. And you have information regarding what is going on today, Tuesday? Yeah, I'm I'm told that Ben White is taking medical scans today. Uh, the first part of his medical for Arsenal um, later in the week. He's due to go to Arsenal's training ground and, and uh, take biometric tests um, to complete that medical. Everything agreed, club to club. Um, the fee is a guaranteed fifty million pounds. Um, which is the second highest transfer fee ever exchanged for an English central defender. Um, £30 million of that will be paid within one calendar year to Brighton and then two more payments of £10 million in following seasons. There is over £5 million of performance-related variables dependent on personal achievements, Ben White at international level and club achievements by Arsenal. So basically whether uh, they win major trophies during his, his time at the club. He will sign a four-year contract at Arsenal, um, assuming he passes the medical, and his salary will be increased to around £6 million a year. Um, so <laughs> a very substantial investment, and, I, and uh, I think that was the fourth formal offer that Arsenal made to Brighton to get this deal done. It shows the commitment they put into taking a player who Mikel Arteta has pushed for and feels will make a substantial difference to his defence, to the way the team plays coming out of defence. Feels could be a future captain of the of the club and um, and has the right attitude 
to to fit a squad where Arteta feels attitude has been a problem during the, his time in charge of them. Well, White's rise is certainly nothing short of meteoric, having been on loan at four different clubs from Brighton. Uh, and then, of course, laterally, one season in the Championship with Leeds United when they got promoted, played one season for Brighton uh, at the Amex uh, and excelled in his ball-playing skills and playing out of defence, as you mentioned, Duncan, something which Arteta values greatly. Someone he doesn't appear to value very much is uh, Eddie in- in Ketia, the uh, young England centre forward who had been given chances but managed only uh, two uh, goals in the Premier League and one assist last season in 17 appearances. And just a quick word also about his um, international under-21 teammate, Tammy Abraham at Chelsea, who's struggling, Duncan. Here we have the golden boys, if you like, of English youth talent. Uh, and I say that, obviously, they're not in their teens anymore. But both finding themselves kind of out in the cold. Um, and Ketty himself has one year left in his contract. Uh was attracting interest from other uh, less prominent Premier League sides. But uh, he has been offered a new deal at Arsenal, as they're understanding, but is refusing to sign. And Arsenal also don't want him to be going out on loan in the circumstances, understandable, given that he would just be running his contract down playing for another club. Uh, it's tough times, isn't it, for uh, those players of, uh, let's just say they were a silver generation so far, given that they, they won uh, under 17 and under 19 level and now up, up to 20. Ones, um, surprised. Look, I, I think Arsenal have a an issue at present in that they're they're putting a lot of money into bringing players into the club, but they've got several young English talents in there who aren't particularly happy with their their situation, and and Ketty is one of those, and and that's the reason why he's been refusing to to sign a new contract and not seeing that um, potential to play enough football when uh, when the club are investing money elsewhere. Um, they have managed to retain Emile Smith-Rowe and, that, and I think that's a major um, success for them given that Aston Villa were pushing hard to take him uh, from the club and they turned down a couple of formal offers from Villa for the player. But um, it's always a balance when you're you're structuring teams Arteta obviously wants players who can come in and make an immediate difference. He's under pressure to perform this season. I think Edu, the sporting director, is also under pressure to deliver a team that that doesn't end up in mid-table and starts competing at the right end of the the table again. And there is a a question whether they're going to miss and lose out on some of the good talent they've created over the last few years from their academy because they have this immediate goal of of competing in the first team with the top clubs in in the Premier League this season. Also, we did report uh, some time ago that Arsenal were open to offers for Alexander Lacazette as far uh, as that has progressed so uh, until now. And we understand that there is no offer which is currently acceptable to Arsenal for the player and that will continue uh, his marketing until they find somewhere for him. Um, if not, then they will be stuck with yet another striker who they don't want to play, but who will be getting paid a lot of money, unlike Anketa, who's not being paid a lot of money. Duncan, uh, you mentioned the fee Brighton will receive from Arsenal for this uh, sale of Ben White. They're showing no signs of um, 
waiting to spend some of that, are they, with regards to their interest in uh, Celtic and France international Odson Edouard? Yeah, um, I, look, I, I think they've they've raised more than they expected for for Ben White, um, and I, and I think there's a feeling within within Brighton that, that it's a very successful transfer negotiation. They have been targeting a centre forward um, in the summer's window for obvious reasons. Um, they're a club who created a lot of chances in the Premier League last season and did not manage to convert anything like as high percentages as would be expected. Edouard is available, wants to leave Celtic. Celtic want to get money for him before his contract expires next summer. My understanding is that they've made an offer to Celtic of £80 million pounds, uh, initially with a further £3.5 million pounds in performance-related variables. There would also be a sell-on clause in the deal, um, a variable sell-on clause where the, the percentage of the fee going to Celtic should Brighton sell Edward down the line changes according to the amount Brighton are paid for the player by any future club. Um, I'm hearing that they're quite confident they can get this deal done now, um, which contrasts with where they were earlier in the summer. Um, I think Edward's preference would be to go to a more established club, but he also wants to play football. He wants to be in the starting lineup and Brighton have an advantage. One in that they have cash, um, unlike most clubs in European football at present. And two, that um, I think Edward, looking at the way Brighton performed last season, knows that he will be in the team. And if he carries on scoring at anywhere near the rate he did at Celtic, 83 goals and 169 appearances, he'll stay there. He'll be on a platform in the Premier League and um, if he shows the same kind of quality as he had at Celtic then it might not be too long before one of the clubs that he would ideally go to this summer are making offers to Brighton for him. And before we uh, go to the hero and villain of the last few days, Duncan, a quick roundup uh, of other movers and shakers in the market? Yeah, Ajax... Um, as we know, have been working to sell Andre Onana this summer, uh, one year left on contract, currently serving a ban uh, for doping, which he had reduced by Cass. Um, Arsenal it made an offer for him early in the summer, um, what was described to me by a, a source at Ajax as a tiny offer. Um, since then, Olympic Lyonnais have uh, pushed hard to take the player I'm told that they have agreement on personal terms with Onana um, and I'm hearing that he, his preference is to move to Lyon over Arsenal. Um, the fee hasn't been agreed with Ajax yet, but Ajax are happy that Lyon are moving towards the, the figure they were looking for. Um, Ajax have also sold um, a few weeks ago Shell Shepin, uh, Netherlands under-21 international to Brighton at a profit. Um, I've been told that they have been in contact with the Watford goalkeeper, um, Daniel Bachman, Austria International at the European Championships, um, to sound them out over whether he'd be interested in coming in as a replacement for the goalkeepers they're, they're selling this summer. So um, that's one of the options they're looking at uh, to strengthen their team, knowing that Onana will go and having sold Sherpin for a profit to, to Brighton. 
So there we have uh, the first edition of this week's Transfer Window podcast. We're going to finish off with the hero and villains of the last few days. I'm going to go first, Duncan, because I want to get it off my chest. <laughs> Real Madrid, are they may play in white and think they're saints and their nickname is Los Merengues. To me, they're just lost Merengues because they allowed themselves to be beaten by Glasgow Rangers. And of course, all of our listeners who know my persuasions in terms of my team I support will know why. I'm annoyed by Madrid losing to Rangers because I have lots of friends who support Rangers and are telling me that they are now the record-breaking uh, European champions, having beaten Madrid by proxy. So there you go. Uh, not sure that's true. And don't uh, be of any two minds that I haven't told Carlo Ancelotti exactly the same thing. Uh, Duncan, over to you for today's hero. Um, heroes of the week. I'm going to go for the, the three judges who... Uh, who handed down a verdict to Manchester City that they didn't want to hear. Geoffrey Voss, the master of the roles, Julian Faux, the Chancellor of the High Court, and Lord Justice Mills. Um, various things they said during the uh, decision, which was published last week. Um, Flo, for example, described Manchester City's very expensive arguments over... Uh, confidentiality and the damage to clubs' relations with commercial partners that they, they claimed might happen if the verdict was made public as entirely fanciful and unconvincing. Justice Mayles signed off a, a, a discussion of whether it was correct that the verdict should be published and it was a matter of public interest by saying, this is an investigation which commenced in December 2018. It is surprising and a matter of legitimate public concern that so little progress has been made after two and a half years, during which it may be noted the club has twice been crowned as Premier League champions. Absolutely gets to the heart of the matter. There we have it. That has been the Transfer Window podcast, uh, first edition for this week. We hope you enjoyed it, of course. Uh, please get in touch via our social media channels at Transfer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Duncan's at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. Uh, and, uh, you know, we love to engage, so please do. We'll be back on Friday. Until then, stay well, be safe and thanks for listening.